You're listening to a Military Life Media podcast. Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. There's everyday life, then there's a life in defence. There's nothing else quite like it. And for me, there's no other bank that understands this the way Defence Bank does. With products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses, 30 on-base branches across Australia and an award-winning banking app, they just get defence. But don't take my word for it. Others agree, in fact, they were recently awarded Defence Services Bank of the Year by We Money, a unique bank for a life like no other. Visit defencebank.com.au today to find out more. Well, welcome Tara to the podcast. So before we get into all things decluttering, can you tell us a little about your connection to defence and your experience as a spouse? Absolutely, Beck. Thanks for having me. I met my husband, who is in the Air Force, about 19 years ago when he was on a posting in Adelaide and I was just finishing uni there. We've been married about 12 years now and have got two daughters We've moved about seven times with the Air Force, lots of interstate moves, and we've also done an overseas posting. We spent about three and a half years in the UK, which was a wonderful posting to have. I think unlike a lot of other military spouses, we've been really fortunate. My husband has been on a few deployments, but we've not really got into the rhythm of spending a long time apart, not on a regular basis. And in all the time we've been together and since we've had kids, he hasn't missed any birthday days or any Christmases, which I think is pretty rare. So my background is in psych and I guess like lots of other spouses, I've had lots of jobs because of lots of moving. So I um, worked in the South Australian police force early on after I finished uni and while we were both still living in Adelaide. And then as we moved around, I worked in local government and APS and private companies in human resource management and counselling kind of roles. And uh, I didn't work on our posting while we were living overseas, which was very lovely and luxurious. I got to just enjoy and travel, eat a lot of British cheese, which I know you would appreciate, Beck. Oh my gosh, it's the living the dream. Hey, <laughs> yo. And since we got back from the UK, I continued working in a bit of crisis counselling and then decided to start my own business, which we'll get into, you know, a bit later down the track. And I've tried to military life proof my business to make it be something that's transportable and that will move with me and that I could I could work virtually as well. So I guess that's a little little bit about my history. I feel like, you know, defence life has been my life. I kind of can't remember a time when we, we didn't feel part of this big family and feel that our life choices were not not always our own, that there was always another power that be that would, you know, have an input into where we were going and what we were doing. But I don't think I'd change anything. We've quite enjoyed it and the opportunities. Yeah. And then obviously it did lead to you starting your own business and the career that you've got now. So can you tell us what you're doing now and what this beautiful business is that you can take wherever you go or get posted? Yeah. So after I was working in crisis counselling, I'd always thought about starting a business on my own, but you know, wasn't quite sure where to take it. And so I decided to start working as a life coach and I work from home and I do all my coaching meetings and meet with clients all virtually online, either via Skype or FaceTime and things like that. But quite early on in the piece, as I was starting out life coaching, 
there was this other aspect that kind of very organically came into it, which was declutter coaching as well. And that was never part of the plan. But when I was working face-to-face initially with a few of my life coaching clients in Canberra, we found that there was some real mental clutter issues that were stemming from the physical clutter in their home. So they were feeling really overwhelmed and stressed and they couldn't relax and switch off when they were getting home at the end of the day because their home environments were really overwhelming them. And so then I started working with them on ridding some of the physical clutter as well. And I found that this was just something that came very naturally to me and that I did in my life. It's nothing I'd ever kind of trained for or learned how to do, but it had this really big impact. So really organically, my business kind of turned from just life coaching into life coaching and declutter coaching. And it it was lovely. It was a lovely um, kind of transition. And so now I do both. And to start with, I was working mainly just in people's homes with declutter coaching, but because of the military and because of moving around a bit. And a couple of years ago, we moved from Canberra to Adelaide and I didn't want to lose my clients. I decided to experiment a bit to see if I could keep coaching people on getting rid of clutter in their homes, but do it virtually as well. So it kind of has moved into that phase. So now I do everything online, which is has kind of future-proofed my business, which is quite exciting. Which is awesome. And obviously a topic and an area that most, if not all, military spouses would be keen to know more about or keen to improve in their lives or don't even know that they they need help in that area yet. And maybe that's what's holding them back or weighing them down. And I feel like there might be two types of military spouses. The ones who like to continually declutter on a yearly basis or even every few months because they know it means less work when they post out and packing and unpacking at each location. And the ones who just tend to shove it all in boxes and want to deal with it later and maybe not even unpack it for years. Can you talk us through those very different types of people? There's definitely two distinct types and there's probably more that fall outside of those two groups, but they are generally, when you're looking at military spouses, the boxes or the categories you fall into, the people that like to keep on top of it, some of them are just natural born organizers and other people have learnt to declutter and keep good control of their possessions. And I think in some ways it's a way to control the uncontrollable because You know, the military life and the posting cycle is a pretty uncontrollable beast and we all feel a bit subject to it. So sometimes having your possessions really organized and, you know, makes you feel a bit more lighter, makes you feel more transient and it makes the whole process of moving over and over again a lot easier. So quite often that first group are usually highly organized people in their life anyway and they've identified that purging often and keeping things sorted will make their future a whole lot easier it becomes a bit of a natural rhythm for them stuff flows in and out of their homes the second group are the ones that just cart their excess stuff from place to place and I think it's really easy to be this type of person in the military because even though you move often most of the time you're not physically packing and transporting the stuff yourself and I think you know I could identify with this as well if you had to outlay the money for the amount of belongings you had you know you had to pay people to pack pay by the cubic meter of the amount of stuff that you've got and physically wrap pack stack all the stuff yourself I think we would purge more 
often, I think we'd be a bit more ruthless, but because, you know, that's just part of the package and we can own as much or as little as we like, even though it can feel like a burden when it's all being moved, it's quite easy to kind of disengage from that and think, well, it doesn't matter how much I've got because it's not, it's not really my problem. People outside of the military, when they move, you know, they have to put a dollar figure on the price of moving all their stuff. So it does make them take a good hard look at how much they have and if it is worth the money to move it. Where I think because we remove that element, sometimes we just don't look at our stuff critically anymore. It just is a given. If you have it, it comes with you. And and so it kind of doesn't, moving doesn't trigger that questioning process like it would with other people in the community. But <laughs> when you talk to military spouses, it's so common to hear about the boxes that have been moved from location to location and never unpacked. And they have all the different, it's like a little, you know, family history of all the places they've lived in the last 15 years because the same boxes of textbooks from uni have just got sticker after sticker after sticker from this place to this place, this place to this place. And some of these boxes never get unpacked. And um, it's quite common to find that with textbooks and course materials, sentimental clothes as well, like wedding dresses or uniforms that aren't worn. Books generally is, is a big area, but also some sporting equipment and hobbies. They're those things that people hold on to and won't necessarily get unpacked at the new location. And then it's time to move again. And those things just stay in their packing and go from place to place. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being one or the other. It's not like if you're the first type where you declutter regularly and you stay on top of things and you're organized or you're the other person where you just like to cut everything around with you and hold on to things. Like there are bigger reasons behind being one or the other of those types. Like it's not that, you know, you're just this super organized person and you're the best at everything or you're this lazy person that just can't be bothered. Like there are psychological reasons reasons that we end up being one or the other, like organized or sentimental. Can you talk us through the deeper reasons why we would be those types of people? Definitely. And like you said, there's absolutely, there's no right or wrong with this. And there's definitely, you know, even within those groups, there are big spectrums of people and where they fall. But that first group, the natural born or the learned declutterers, the ones that are highly organized, you know what, well, a lot of them would be that way, whether they moved a lot or they stayed in one place. Military life doesn't necessarily influence the relationship they have with their belongings. But I think that second group, the ones that cut excess stuff from place to place can be really complex. There's a lot of reasons that people might become cluttered and military life can exacerbate these tendencies for some people. I mean, there's a lot of people in any community that have excess stuff, but I think military life can really shine a light on that or make it worse for some people. Some people, there's a reluctance to fully set up home because they feel like they're in constant transit. And if you look a little bit deeper, sometimes that comes down to a fear about getting really comfortable or laying down roots in a new location because that opens us up to such vulnerability because then you know at some point you're going to have to move and you feel sad and disappointed. So it's almost easier sometimes to not get too invested. And part of that can manifest in not fully unpacking. It's like you don't put your anchor down in any one place for too long. Long, and then it doesn't feel like such a burden to leave. Also, if you're a really nostalgic or sentimental person, naturally, there's so many opportunities with military life to collect excess 
memorabilia, like the functions you go to and the ceremonies and all the different locations you travel to or live, the variety of people you come into contact with and the experience you have. There's so many opportunities. If you're sentimental, there's so many chances to pick up things. And then, you know, those things tell the story of your life. So you, you know, you hold on to them. You want to keep them around you. And in a similar vein, if you're the type of person that really likes to feel settled, you know, you like to nest a bit and you feel more at ease in really familiar surroundings. Sometimes it's quite easy to cling to excess belongings as a way of bringing your home with you and bringing your story with you so that as you get to a new place, wherever you go, you can recreate that sense of familiarity from location to location. So quite often as I go through the process of decluttering with people, some of these things come up and we can tease them out a bit and work out if there's something more going on there and if there's ways that we can reduce the clutter if people feel like it's getting overwhelming. I guess it's about the fact that if you're feeling like you are one type or the other, but you're feeling like it's getting on top of you, like it's fine if you want to take those things with you from location to location so you can feel more at home by having those things, those sentimental objects. And and like you mentioned, telling the story of your life through your things that you've gathered at different locations. But what happens is the problem lies in if it becomes a problem within your life and you, you no longer want to carry those things around because you feel like they're burdening you or weighing you down. Or similarly, if you move to a location and you don't have as much space, or if you're faced with the prospect of moving overseas and you can only take a certain cubic meterage of of stuff with you, and then you feel really torn about what's really important and what is excess to your needs. And sometimes it's really hard to make decisions on items because we get in such a habit of having it all and keeping it all and not parting with things. So so if we're wanting to go from being one type to the other, can we do that? Can we go from being someone that cuts stuff around but wants a change and wants to be the more organized transition to the more minimalist type of lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. I think it's like any new skill. It takes some learning and it takes some practice. It's not something, you know, maybe some people with incredible willpower can just turn it on and, you know, change. But the majority of people need to learn the tools of decluttering. So I think, you know, quite often when I'm working with people, I will try and teach them the questions that they have to ask themselves when you pick things up and you think, okay, what am I doing with this? Having a bit of a a script in your head of the questions you need to ask yourself, do I love this? Do I use this? Do I need this? Would someone else be happier with this object than I am? You know, knowing how to challenge your assumptions about your belongings is something you can learn. I think one of the things that I teach is just alternate ways of storing and organizing the things you have, because it might be that you're cutting stuff around, not using it, but actually if it was stored in a different way or organized in a different way they would become things that you know it becomes habit to use them again so I think you can definitely learn the principles of being decluttered and then you can start practicing that when you implement methods and triggers for letting go and you try them and you practice them and certainly with a bit of support that usually helps as well I think it can become a habit a learned habit I mean it's like you know having so many toys in a toy room that are shoved in cupboards that only the box on the floor gets played with because that's what the kids can see like you mentioned it might just be about reassessing reorganizing or displaying it differently even things like your wardrobe you know rotating the clothes or the shoes just so you 
can, you remember that you've actually got them or then realize that you actually don't need them or you don't want them anymore and going forward with uh, a plan on how to go forward with getting rid of things or reusing, repurposing, whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's just about learning a, a new way to look at your things, which so often we just kind of take it for granted once we have them and they're put where they're put. We kind of stop thinking about them. So yeah, I think once you, once you get the tools in your head and, you know, a few ideas about how to question yourself and how to reorganize things, it can really change the way you interact, you know, kind of the relationship you have with your belongings. Yeah. And I mean, it takes time. Like we're all so busy on a day-to-day basis that Mm. we, we just don't have the time to sit back and think, okay, well today I'm going to do that. But it's really actually putting your hand up and going, okay, I really want to sort this side of my life out because it can also cause mental clutter as well. Absolutely. And I think with physical clutter, our generation, we have to learn how to let go because, you know, most of us, our parents grew up in a different time. And so often they held on to things for a lot longer than we do now or than we should now. You know, their generation saved up for items. They took care of them. Things lasted. They were built to last a lot longer. And, you know, the baby boomers certainly, you know, learnt that if your item was broken, you would repair it rather than throw it out and replace it. And so many of us didn't grow up with our parents modelling how to part with items or, you know, teaching us as kids. We couldn't see them letting go of things that they no longer used or loved regularly. It was a big, you know, like I remember when I was a kid, it was a big deal for my parents to get a new TV. The only reason you got a new TV is because the old one couldn't or didn't work anymore and it couldn't be repaired. So there was no option where now we just go, oh, I I want a bigger screen or I want the latest feature or I need it to be a smart TV. So I'll replace it. Not because the old one's broken, but just because we want something different. And so letting go of the old stuff is something that wasn't modeled for us. And so it's kind of a new skill set for our generation. And because, you know, in the last 40 years or so, the world has become a much smaller place. Now we get clothing and furniture styles and influences from around the globe and trends change so rapidly. And then social media and things like that expose us to so much more stuff that we want to bring all these new things into our home. We see new styles. We want to change with the seasons or, or change with the trends, but we haven't learned the skills how to let go of the stuff that we're not using anymore. Even things down to the fact that now we can buy stuff with credit or afterpay when we want it rather than having to save up. So sometimes we're a lot less intentional with our purchases because we can buy now and pay later. And I think it's, you know, now is the time to start thinking about, you know, if I keep bringing this stuff in, I've got to figure out a way to start letting it all go. But also we need to stop sometimes and ask ourselves, do I really need this? And start resisting a few temptations and being more intentional with what we bring in, because that's where this physical clutter stuff starts and manifests because we keep bringing it all in and we're not consciously, you know, we don't have triggers or plans in place to let it all go. I guess as well, like obviously we've started to realize that we want to make a change. We start, you know, going through things, but we come up with roadblocks, but we don't really know why. And as we mentioned before, that could be because it's also a mental thing as well. Like it's also training your mind to accept your new way forward. And the stories we tell ourselves about not just what we have, but what we want as well. And I mean, physical clutter and mental clutter are so closely connected in many ways, but 
can be, you know, quite different beasts as well. I think, you know, sometimes physical clutter can come from mental clutter because we're aspiring to be something. We have an image of what success looks like, for example, and our idea of being successful is, you know, having a huge wardrobe, many pairs of shoes, the latest gadgets, cars, all the sporting equipment, all the fancy furniture and decor in our homes, you know, so it might be that the stem of the problem is that we have a dysfunctional idea about what success is. And then that turns into buying lots of things to show our success or prove our success to others. And so, you know, you can kind of tease those things apart, but mental clutter itself can be in the form of many, many different things. So it could be, you know, toxic or dysfunctional relationships, schedules that are over busy or feelings of inadequacy or shame or fear, negative self-talk, all that, you know, mental clutter can be all consuming and, and can be very varied. Generally, a lot of the people that I work with are women and the common thread is always that they're feeling overwhelmed. And it might be that they're people pleasers that have been keeping everyone else happy in their lives and putting themselves last and they're starting to start, feel resentful and unhappy themselves. They might be people that have lost their way a bit and need direction. They might have unrealistic expectations around what success looks like, like we said, or they're just trying to do it all and feeling like they're coming up short in every aspect of their life. So I guess my answer to people generally is always, whether it be physical or mental clutter, to start saying yes to less. Basically, let go of what isn't serving you, either physical possessions or mental clutter, to make space for what's really important. And that it kind of all comes back to that same message, regardless of the, the issue, but it takes a long time to kind of work through that and get to that point. Yeah, it sounds like it's about making, like finally making that decision within yourself that you want to go forward in a different way for your own mental and physical health really like mm, absolutely and physical and mental clutter can be such a chicken and an egg scenario because sometimes you notice the physical clutter first and that stemming from having mental clutter or other times people feel mentally exhausted and that there's a whole lot of mental clutter in their head and some of that is coming from the fact that they can't rest or relax or get any peace at home because there's so much physical clutter in their surroundings so it's kind of you know physical clutter leads to mental clutter leads to physical clutter and around it goes so at some point it's good to try and step back have a look and break that cycle and some people you know certainly some of my clients come to me for physical decluttering only and then they go on and that's all they need others come to me for the life coaching side and just try and get their head sorted or, you know, closer to a place where they want to be. And then the physical decluttering comes naturally to them from that point and they can manage that. And then some come for both, but it's not always the same path. That's for yeah, sure. For sure. And I bet some of them come and think, oh, this is not what I thought I was coming to you for. And we've just <laughs> yeah, uncovered yeah. a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah. But, and certainly that happens with the physical decluttering when people, you know, get attached to things and it's like, well, okay, so talk to me more about that. And then you can unearth all sorts of, of stories that they've been telling themselves for years, but not really questioning where that came from or, or why that's the case. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating and really interesting job. I'm so it is. I'm, it's not I'm just so about getting those hats in the back of the cupboard. Like it's it's this yeah, yeah. more that goes into it. Yeah. If people really delve into it, like we've all got our own 
little issues associated with whatever it is that we're holding on to. Yeah, definitely. And the sentimental clutter is, that's quite an interesting area. And that's something that a lot of people can relate to. A lot of people feel quite sentimental and quite nostalgic, and that can bring up all sorts of stuff for people. Is that something you, are you a sentimental or a nostalgic person, Beck? Um, I think I used to be, but this is a morbid way of looking at it. I tend now, because it did get to a stage where I had stuff, I felt like it was weighing me down. So I got to the stage where I've kind of like refined everything over and over that I don't mm-hmm. really have that much sentimental stuff. I do have my wedding dress under the bed, but you know, got to keep that just in case. But I kind of look at it like if I was to die tomorrow, like would someone else find this sentimental? Would my kids know the story attached to this? Like, would this be something that would be passed on and have a feeling associated for someone else? Or is it just for me? And mm. that's what kind of really helped me to just hold on to the things that I really really am attached to as opposed to you know the handbag that I took to the first ball that Scott and I ever went Mm -hmm. to like who else is going to find an attachment or or will know the story to go with that like we've got a photo of it like you know yeah and look I think that's really important because if we all lived in these big houses and didn't move for a number of years, if we stayed in the same location, it's probably a lot easier to hold on to sentimental clutter because those things get tucked under the bed or in the attic or you know pushed to the back of the cupboard and they can sit there for years and years and not be brought out and not be touched. But when you move frequently, you kind of get your hands and your eyes on these things over and over again. And so, you know, it's perfectly okay and perfectly reasonable to be sentimental and to want to keep things for sentimental reasons. But I think sometimes you have to ask yourself if you are honouring that object or the person that you got that object from by having it stashed away. And I've got an example of this. My um, mother passed away when I was 22. She was 47 and she had kept her wedding dress. And my dad was like, well, this is... I don't know what to do with this. You know, do I, do I keep cutting around your mother's wedding dress? And I said, no, no, I'll take it. Like she had held on to it. I'll keep it. If she's, she kept it that long, then of course I'll keep it. But this wedding dress moved with me from place to place to place. And I never, it's not like it was out on display. It was in, I packed it in this old vintage suitcase that I found that I thought was appropriate. But I reckon some moves, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even opened the suitcase. It just went from place to place. And then eventually I said to myself, what am I doing? I'm not honoring my mum's legacy. I'm not keeping this wedding dress is not bringing any value to me. I have photos of my mum in her wedding dress and her wedding dress wasn't really sentimental to me because I never saw her wear it. I certainly didn't wear it, but I, it would just kind of had this burden, like she had kept it for so long. It was the right thing to do. So, you know, ask myself the questions, you know, is this giving it uh, the respect it deserves being kept in a suitcase, just moving from place to place? Would she want to give me the burden of lugging this thing around? Like I'm already lugging my own wedding dress. <laughs> Why am I That's lugging right. myself? Yeah. And so I looked for a different way to honor my mum's legacy without carding this dress around. So I ended up researching and there's this wonderful organization called Angel Gowns Australia which use the beautiful fabrics and laces from wedding dresses to create gowns for premature babies that are stillborn and for them to because obviously you know lots of premature babies 
you know, can't find teeny tiny little gowns, but for them to be buried in or for the parents to say their final goodbyes, a beautiful organisation uses up the lace, the trimmings, the tulle, all of that to make these tiny little angel gowns. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. And so I contacted them. I sent my mum's wedding dress and I just cut a piece of lace off the sleeve, like a tiny little bit, and I use it as a bookmark. And it's like, I see that every night now when I read my book. And I feel like that that's a much better way of honouring her dress and the legacy rather than carting this thing around with me for 30 years in a suitcase. So or having that um, weight on your shoulders, like I'm just shoving it from cupboard to cupboard and not doing mm-hmm. anything with it. And having that, like you mentioned, burden of it deserves more than that, but what do I do with it? And then finding that that purpose for it that gives you that feeling like it was being repurposed for a whole other greater reason. Yeah. And then, and also what will my girls do one day when I'm not here and then they've got my wedding dress and my mum's like, at what point do they go, okay, enough, you know, cause you just pass that burden on to other people. So you know, quite often I'll encourage people to find a less cumbersome way to still keep the trigger. So like you said, with the handbag from the ball, keep the photo. You've got, you know, you've got proof of what you wore to your first ever ball with Scott. You don't, you don't actually need the outfit because you've still got the trigger to remind you of that time, which is in the photo. You know, if people have huge libraries of books or, you know, their favorite author, you know, maybe if you don't have the space to cart them around or you don't want to keep carting them around, keep a sample, keep like your best of your hall of fame of books, you know, your few favorite rather than the entire collection, you know, take photographs. Like sometimes yeah. I think got to question the way we keep things and yeah. whether we can still have the memory without the excess burden of all the stuff. Yeah. Without the overwhelming feeling of, I have to get rid of this. Um, mm. At least you get to keep a little bit of it and then actually make use of it in a worthwhile way. If you love part one of this episode, pop over and listen to part two. Tara and I talk about just-in-case items and how they hold us down. When excess and clutter prevent us from living the way we want to live, setting aside time to declutter and organize and starting small in order to avoid overwhelm, taking time to find or create homes for our belongings when we post into a new location, and how that can allow us mentally to feel more settled. How deciding to let go of stuff is just the first step in the process and how having a plan and committing to the whole process is key. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarylife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 